From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today, we'll hear another message in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, a series preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let us not sleep as do others. There are many ways of promoting Christian wakefulness. Among the rest, let me strongly advise Christians to converse together concerning the ways of the Lord. Christian and hopeful, as they journeyed towards the celestial city, said to themselves, To prevent drowsiness in this place, let us fall into good discourse. Christian inquired, Brother, where shall we begin? And Hopeful answered, Where God began with us. Then Christian sang this song, When saints do sleepy grow, let them come hither, and hear how these two pilgrims talk together. Yea, let them learn of them in any wise, thus to keep ope their drowsy slumbering eyes. Saints' fellowship, if it be managed well, keeps them awake and that in spite of hell. Christians who isolate themselves and walk alone are very liable to grow drowsy. Hold Christian company, and you will be kept wakeful by it, and refreshed and encouraged to make quicker progress in the road to heaven. But as you thus take sweet counsel with others in the ways of God, take care that the theme of your converse is the Lord Jesus. Let the eye of faith be constantly looking unto Him. Let your heart be full of Him. Let your lips speak of his worth. Friend, live near to the cross, and thou wilt not sleep. Labor to impress thyself with a deep sense of the value of the place to which thou art going. If thou rememberest that thou art going to heaven, thou wilt not sleep on the road. If thou thinkest that hell is behind thee, and the devil pursuing thee, thou wilt not loiter. Would the manslayer sleep with the avenger of blood behind him, and the city of refuge before him? Christian, Wilt thou sleep whilst the pearly gates are open, the songs of angels waiting for thee to join them, a crown of gold ready for thy brow? Ah, no! In holy fellowship continue to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Oh 
If you've been blessed by the beautiful sacred music which forms a part of Let the Bible Speak, you may obtain a CD containing a sampling of these Christ-honoring selections. Entitled Our Great Redeemer's Praise, this CD will provide you with nearly an hour of such beloved pieces as Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, Be Still, My Soul, May the Mind of Christ My Savior, and In Heavenly Love Abiding. These songs are performed by the various musical groups of Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. This CD is available free of charge to our Let the Bible Speak listeners. To obtain a copy, you may contact us by email, by telephone, or by regular mail. You may call 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. Or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Ask for your free copy of Our Great Redeemer's Praise. Call or write for your copy today. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns continues to deal with the theme, A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ, as recorded in Luke chapter 8. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Christ was transfigured before the eyes of Peter, James, and John. Appearing with him were Moses and Elijah, who discussed with Christ his accomplishing of death on the cross. Christ's death was for a purpose, that of redeeming a people unto himself. Prior to the transfiguration, Jesus had said that some would not taste of death until they had seen the Lord's glory. Dr. Cairns will shed light on what those words mean. Then, the time of the transfiguration is important. It took place while Christ was praying. What an indication this is to believers of how they may see the glory of Christ. The purpose of the transfiguration was to acknowledge the success of what Jesus would do on the cross, the salvation of sinners. Following the cross was the glory. Now Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ. Here's Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration saying, Look at the cross, but realize this cross leads to glory led Christ to glory, and thank God it leads everyone who trusts in Christ to glory. But then verse 27, you'll notice that this came immediately after the remarkable statement, I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Now that has caused a lot of debate. It's usually taken as a promise to the disciples that the Lord Jesus was saying, look at this vast crowd. Well, there are some of my disciples here, and they are not going to die until they see the kingdom of God. And uh, as it's otherwise put, come in its glory or come in its power. 
The big debate there doesn't mean that he's speaking of Peter, James, and John going up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Does it mean that his disciples would live to see the resurrection? Does it mean that they live to see the coming of the Spirit in the day of Pentecost? Or as many seem to think, that they lived to see the fall of Jerusalem when Judaism would be swept aside and the gospel would finally be established in the world. Some indeed say it means the end of the age. I don't know how they make that out because there was nobody standing there who lived to see the end of the age. And after that, anyway, I don't think they were going to die. Personally, I think that if, notice the if, if this is a promise to the disciples at all, I think, despite what most of the scholars say, that it does refer to the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't want to go into that in a whole lot of detail. The objection that's usually raised is it doesn't, it's not much of a prophecy to say that there are people here who are going to be alive six days from now. That's the sort of stupidity as a, supposed to be a learned criticism, but that's the sort of stupidity I get really fed up reading when I'm reading these wonderful uh, erudite linguistic specialists. If they would only come down out of the clouds for a minute, they would realize that the length of time has absolutely nothing to do with it. The, the substance of the prophecy is they're going to see the kingdom in its glory. Doesn't matter if it's six days or six hundred days. That's the part. And certainly, if this is a promise to the disciples, it seems more than coincidental that in all the Gospels it's immediately followed by the Transfiguration. But you'll notice I said if. There is possible a very different explanation. You see, Jesus didn't simply say there are people here who will not die. He said there are people here who will not taste of death. Now, that's not a very uh, a phrase of or clause of very frequent occurrence. But when you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, you find that tasting death doesn't simply mean die. See what it says there. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. In other words, in God's parlance, tasting death is tasting the judicial punishment of God upon sinful man. It is experiencing the final result of sin. Now that's something that men don't readily grasp. They, they think it simply means to die. Turn to John chapter 8, 51, 52. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews to him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Obviously equating the two terms, seeing death and tasting death. 
To them they both meant simply dying. Now it's obvious Jesus Christ didn't promise a lie. He did not promise that if you believe in me, you're never going to die physically. That's obviously something he never promised. I know that because he told Peter, who believed in him, when you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to put you to death in a way you don't want to die. But you are going to die. So the promise is not simply that you're not going to die. What he rather was saying is that those who believe in him would never experience death as the judgment of God on their sin because Christ had taken that judgment for them. Now, seen in that light, the tasting death means if you want the judgment of God and the second death of hell. Seen in that light, verse 27 of Luke 9 takes on a totally different meaning. For now it's seen not as a promise to the disciples, but as a warning to the rejecters of Jesus Christ. And... Notice the startling connection with verse 26. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. He's warning about death and judgment. And then he says there are people standing here. And you're ashamed of me. And you live to see my kingdom come in its glory. And it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about the resurrection or the fall of Jerusalem. You live to see my kingdom come in its glory. Many of them indeed live to see not only the resurrection and Pentecost, but even the fall of Jerusalem itself. And those were certainly all major steps in the display of the glory of the kingdom of Christ. And Jesus is saying, there are people here, you're so ashamed of me and of my name, you will see my kingdom come in its glory, and you'll still stay a Christ rejecter. And you'll die that way. And you'll pay the price. I'm not going to be dogmatic. Those I told you, a book reviewer said, I tend to be dogmatic. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this one. But I will say that if the idea of judgment is the correct explanation of verse 27, the transfiguration doesn't fulfill the prophecy but stands in contrast to it. And it points sinners to a coming day of wrath. Gives an insight into the meaning of verse 24. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same will save it. You see, the whole tenor of this passage is of warning. What I said earlier, Jesus is saying, I am setting before you my sufferings. I'm setting before you my cross. I'm setting before you my glory, my resurrection, my kingdom. I'm setting before you my person and my work. And you're going to respond to it one way or the other. Does it not say much about 
the depravity of men, so entrenched in their hatred of God, they like to tell themselves, I reject Christ because of intellectual problems. That's the devil's lie. I reject Christ because I want some different sort of philosophical evidence. That's the devil's lie. The Lord Jesus is speaking of people who saw him die, who were convinced of his resurrection, who saw his spirit come with mighty power on the day of Pentecost, who saw his prophecies fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem, in the setting up of the church of Christ. They saw all those things. And despite it all, they remained Christ rejectors. You see, it's not more evidence sinners need, and I'm willing to give all the evidence that's there because the Lord in His mercy has said it before us. But it's not more evidence that sinners need. It's regeneration. It's saving grace. And trust in Christ. That's what they need. After those things, Christ was transfigured. It's very interesting in verse 29 that it happened when Christ was engaged in prayer. That's when the glory came down. I will be very brief here and say simply that that's always when the glory comes down. The disciples went with him to pray, and that's when they beheld his glory. I think when you read church history, one of the things that's outstanding is that when men are given, I'm talking about Christian men, given to prayer, when they are willing to put this first in their lives, give themselves to prayer, they behold the glory of the Lord. You read a great Puritan like John Owen, a product of a day of deep personal piety and yearnings and seeking after God. When you read John Owen, and I trust that some of you at least will, when you read John Owen, you're impressed with his giant intellect. Few men have ever had an intellect like John Owen's. You're also impressed with the strange way he writes. I have often told students that John Owen writes with all the grace of an elephant going through a china shop. That's the sort of prose that he writes. He's not the easiest man in the world to follow. When you read John Owen, you're also impressed with how lucid he could be in controversy and also at times how... Uh, well, I'll not be too harsh, but the opposite of lucid <laughs> when he's in controversy. He's following every argument, and he can be very, very strong in his statements in controversy. Most people who read John Owen, the only thing they've ever read about him is that he wrote a book called Display of Arminianism. Or he wrote another called Volume 10 in his collected works, uh, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Again, another rampage against Arminianism. Probably the best book on the subject ever written. 
In that book, he said he would proceed to shovel away or remove the arguments of his opponents as a man shoveleth dung. And he did. And the reek was quite off-putting. But if you want to get the real John Owen, not that that's not real, but if you want to get to the heart of John Owen, read him where he starts his works speaking of the glories of Christ. That's what filled his heart. He had caught a glimpse of the glory. You see, when you spend time with Christ in the place of prayer, that's when you'll see his glory. That's when the scriptures will be open to you as they were to the disciples. That's when the Father will speak to your heart. That's when your soul will be strengthened to fulfill his will. This is when it happened. And I have a very brief word to say about why it happened. Why did the Lord go through this at this, this time? Why did the glory come down? Why did the Father speak? Why was this happening at this time? Well, first and foremost, it was to acknowledge that this was a pivotal point in the ministry of Christ. And it was acknowledging his entrance upon the work of the cross. And it was confirming his resolve to see that work through. You must never forget that the Lord Jesus, while he's God incarnate, he's perfect man. The human nature of Christ didn't like pain any more than any other human nature would like pain. And furthermore, the very holiness of the nature of Christ would be repelled at the thought of the sins of men that he was taking upon himself. I have made the point before in this pulpit that when Christ bore our sins, that was a forensic or judicial act. But never let us lose sight of the fact that when he was doing it, and the 40th Psalm bears this out, that great messianic Psalm, that the Lord Jesus Christ saw the heinousness and hatefulness and wickedness of the sins that he was taking upon himself. Not that they made him unclean, but he hated them as being unclean. The idea of going to the cross and being alienated from the Father there in the darkness to cry, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was something revolting to the human nature of Jesus Christ. And so, as he's coming to this critical point, this happens on the Mount of Transfiguration to confirm his resolve. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. 
That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak.